show in which creativity is celebrated and explored with a little therapy thrown in. Each show brings artists from different modalities together to discuss their art, their creative process, and how we all are interconnected. Tune in today to find out how with your host, Dr. Judy Bloom and entertainer Richard Skipper. Hello, Richard. Hello there. All kinds of problems are happening here. Uh, everything was all of a sudden freezing and stopping, and but you can see me, you can hear me. I can see you, I can hear you. We're on target. <laughs> we're on target. I am so excited about tonight's show because we're going to be talking about two different areas of show business. But before we begin, today is Best Friends Day. Yes. And uh, I consider you a best friend. Uh, we don't always converse with each other, but we show up on time uh, every other Thursday, most likely, and we're here to celebrate not only each other, but everyone else. So uh, I am thrilled to have you in my life as a friend. Thank you, Richard. And, you know, best friends are so important. I mean, my, my uh, you are, yes, one of my best friends, too, as well. But my, you know, my, my true best, best friend is somebody I've known for 50 years. We've been for 50 years, right? And Beautiful. those kinds of friends are just gold, right? Yeah, I mean, they know you so well. They know everything you've been through, all your ups and downs, all your craziness. <laughs> well, now that you say that, in case she's watching, my best friend, I think we've known each other about, I would go on to say almost 50 years. Um, we uh, did theater together in my hometown. And she was one of those people when I said I was coming to New York to be an actor, that she was right there with me saying, oh, you got to do it. You got to do it. You got to do it for all of us. Those of us who had the dream, who don't have the guts to do it, do it for us. And just before COVID, four years ago, uh, I wrote a show, which I'm taking to Provincetown, uh, called The Magic of Believing, which tells the story of my coming to New York. And she flew to New York for my opening night. So that is truly a best friend. Yes, indeed. Exactly. Those are the people that, you know, through thick and thin, you know, all your ups and downs in life, they're the one person who will always show up for you. Well, I have another best friend, a very dear friend, if she happens to be watching today, and that's Marilyn Lester. And Marilyn Lester is uh, a woman who, she's going to be on the show with me next Thursday. And she has her hands in so many pots. Uh, but one of the big projects that she's doing here in New York uh, is uh, this celebration of Tin Pan Alley. And she's doing this, of course, with George Calderaro. And uh, George, I'm so thrilled that in the midst of your being in Provincetown right now, away from this orange-colored sky that we have in New York, uh, perhaps I should have had an orange background today, uh, but you are in Provincetown. Uh, first of all, uh, are there any shows going on right now? Are you able to enjoy all that Provincetown has to offer right now? 
Uh, yeah, luckily, um, and, and thank you for, for, for having, having me and the Tin Pan Alley American Popular Pro Music Project. Yeah, there are shows going on. I'm getting um, tickets for uh, uh, Max Van Essen. There's actually the Sondheim Cabaret Fest. And um, our friend and, and Tim Pan Alley supporter who hosted an event for us at Pangea, uh, Sydney Meyer, is going to be the MC at the gala on uh, Saturday night, which will gather together all of the performers who have been here for a week doing masterclasses and performances. So, yes, come on up. And, and I am priming the pump for your appearance here on all, uh, 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 July August 5th. August 5th. Yeah, August 5th, right. At the Here's Post Office Cabaret. Poster. Yeah, <laughs> I love this poster that uh, it was just created for me. But, you know, I was in Provincetown last summer for Cabaret Fest. And, uh, and I was there for their big gala on their last night. Patricia Fitzpatrick, uh, who is tireless in putting all this together. Um, but, you know, it's not an easy task. I was thinking about you today. Uh, on Saturday in Piermont, where I live, uh, there's going to be an arts festival. Uh, and hopefully the air is going to be uh, of good quality so that people can enjoy themselves and have a great time. But you would uh, tell everybody about this big event that you've got coming up, uh, celebrating Tin Pen Alley. And congratulations, by the way, oh, on just getting this as a landmark. Thank you so much. I'll just do a, a quick uh, a boilerplate. Uh, I'm the founding director of the Tin Pan Alley American Popular Music Project, which is a nonprofit that was uh, officially uh, created um, in uh, 2021 to continue and commemorate the legacy of the birthplace of American popular music on West 28th Street between Broadway and Sixth Avenue, where, as you know, um, in the, from the 1890s till the early 20th century, sheet music publishers, songwriters, and performers um, gathered uh, to uh, really create the, the, the popular music industry that we know today with the song plugging and the techniques and, and really working together. So in, I'm really delighted and was honored that uh, after a lot of work by me and the, the, the Tin Pan Alley Committee, uh, in on December uh, 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 10th, 2019, the New York City Landmarks Preservation Commission designated five buildings, numbers 47 to 55 West 28th Street, as official Tin Pan Alley individual landmarks. So once that achieved and we said, okay, Tin Pan Alley is not going to be knocked down, people said, well, what are you going to do now? And I said, holy fudge. We've been working for five years on this. And uh, so we created the Tin Pan Alley American Popular Music Project and to continue the legacy. And we're doing programming. Um, uh, most recently, we just had Lesbian Tin Pan Alley at the Alice Austin House in Staten Island. Next Friday, we're really honored to be partnering with the Hudson River Park Trust and presenting a free concert on Friday the 16th at seven o'clock on the Christopher Street Pier, Pier 45, um, with amazing talent. I, I wrote it down because it's so much. Danny Backer 
Danny Packer, who's amazing. Tech, uh, tap dancer extraordinaire AC Lincoln, Brandy Disterheft, Paul Wells on drums, uh, Charlie Karanakis, Karanikis in trumpet, Josh Dunn on guitar, John Alfred on trombone. And the air will be clear and it will be a beautiful June evening. So come down to Pier 45, 7 o'clock. It'll be free. Bring, come early, bring a picnic and bring a bottle of wine and we'll, we'll toast. Um, you, Richard, and um, I'll, I'll have to be there. I, yeah, I've got to be there. You've got to be there. So we're doing. That's just one um, event coming up. If I may, I'll just uh, no, um, keep going. Yeah, okay, keep going. Uh, just to show the variety of things we're doing on um, all uh, in October, uh, October thirteenth. Um, we're delighted and honored to be kicking off the Museum of the City of New York Centennial Weekend. October, wow. Friday, October 13th at 7 o'clock uh, with a program that's focused on popular music around their, their, their birth year, 1923, which, as you may know, was the year that Charleston was invented. So uh, our, uh, our, our, our board member and programming director, Robert Lamont, is um, uh, putting together an incredible program. So that's on October. And a lot of other great things coming up. We're doing Dead Tin Pan Alley at Woodlawn Cemetery with uh, our, uh, our great friend there, Susan Olson. Um, we are actually meeting on Monday with um, the Ritz-Carlton to discuss a performance series because there's a new, I don't know if you've been to the new Ritz on 28th Street and Broadway, but it's just gorgeous. And we're planning an outdoor performance series free, probably on Sundays. Stay tuned to Tin Pan Alley NYC for news of this and everything else. So it's just so exciting how people have, you know, embraced our mission to, uh, uh, you know, commemorate and continue uh, Tin Pan Alley. Well, George, I wanna ask you, where did your love of that music really come from and how did you get so involved? It's one thing to love it. It's another thing to be as passionate as you are and to really get behind this. Uh, just a couple of years ago, or la uh, no, it was just this past year. I worked on this for two years, getting Helen Hayes home here in Nyack as a literary landmark. And I know how much work goes into this and getting the sponsors and the donations and everything involved. So it's not something that just happens overnight. Yeah. Where does the passion come from for you? Well, for me, I am, I, I, uh, I, I am a preservationist first. I've been involved in the preservation movement in New York for 30 years, and I'm on various boards, so, and I'm a passionate New Yorker. So uh, when I, I, I moved to East 28th Street and joined a board, of course, because I just do that, and, um, uh, and found uh, they were trying to expand the Madison Square North Historic District, and I saw on the proposed map Tin Pan Alley. I said, like a lot of people, I said, I know Tin Pan Alley. Uh, I know it's about music, because in the way that Hollywood became synonymous with filmmaking, Tin Pan Alley really just became synonymous with music publishing and, um, and, uh, and, and, and performance. But I did not know, and many people I find every day do not know the birthplace was on 28th Street between Broadway and 6th Avenue. And it was given the name by a, a journalist um, uh, shortly thereafter. But once I found out the birthplace of American popular music was right there, was intact and unprotected, that's when I uh, galvanized a group of, um, of preservationists and we worked with, with support ranging from Carnegie Hall to KT Sullivan to lobby and also the descendants of the Eastern European Jewish immigrants and the African-American 
um, sheet music publishers, performers, and, uh, and, and songwriters. Um, and that really was the basis for the landmark designation. The commission, after being lobbied for decades, and so many people saying this is never going to happen, that the moment was ripe for declaring a cult, Tim Pan Alley, a cultural landmark. And again, based on the birthplace of American popular music, and specifically the Eastern European Jewish and African American influence. And you can look at Tim Pan Alley NYC, which has a great uh, link to all of the designation reports of um, the Landmarks Commission, uh, uh, which explains the, the, the merit and the import. You know, I, I think people like in the millennial generation, they'd probably go Tin Pan what, <laughs> you know? Um, so this, I love that you're doing this because this is a way to spread the word, if you will, uh, so that other generations will know where the music that they you know, listen to all day long where that originally came from. Absolutely. And I find that there is great interest. As you probably know, there are a lot of real young, passionate New Yorkers. You find wonderful phenomena like the Bowery Boys, which has a podcast, which, which is followed by thousands and thousands of people of all ages, but largely young people. They do live programs in Williamsburg. Just last week at the Alice Austin House that I mentioned, Miss Maybell and Charlie Judkins gave the most wonderful uh, uh, performance, and they're probably in their 20s, uh, you know? So you, you do find these, these pockets of, of, of and, and, you know, young people who, who come to New York to make it here, um, they're passionate about New York, and they're passionate about New York history, and we've got a real sweet spot of uh, intergenerational uh, supporters and followers. Terrific. I have a question. Um, you, there used to be here in New York, and I'm sure you remember this, the Colony Music Store, where everybody went to get our music. And then there was the Sheet Music Society, and they even changed their name because ABS. of Sheet Music, yeah. ABS. Uh, and I, I would like to know, um, do you feel that uh, there is a, a group of, of, of people out there who do uh, really want to hold on to this old uh, sheet music, and how do we preserve this without losing this? Well, there are a number of organizations. We we do not have a, a facility, so uh, uh, but I am approached regularly about people with collections. Everyone, it seems like everyone's got a piano bench full of sheet music they inherited from their grandmother, which is great. We love that. So we refer them to various resources. The Leon Levy Foundation. One of our board members, uh, John Reddick, is an African American um, uh, historian who specializes in Black and Jewish music, 1890-1930. So he's a collector, for example. But we are working on an exhibition, hopefully that will be in 2025 at the Society of Illustrators, because as you know, I mean, sheet music, it was a competitive industry. So the artwork is beautiful and it was designed for people to go into the, the ladies mile department stores or to Tim Pan Alley to buy it. So it had to be attractive. So we're, we're hoping that the sheet music can be appreciated for its artwork as well as it's, uh, it's, it's, it's import, but there are, it's a good question. And there are a lot of people, including people like Michael Feinstein who, uh, who collect it and, um, and we're happy to make a connection uh, with that or the, the, the Performing Arts Library at Lincoln Center. 
It'd be amazing well, if you could have that interactive where you know somebody could look at the sheet music and press a button and hear a couple bars of it or something. Great idea. Exactly. Great idea. And so many performers still, but usually they they've got get to their sheet music on iPads, as you know, and they've got the, yes. it right there. But uh, well, I, I will say it's a whole new thing. I mean, my uh, and I'm going to bring on our next guest, but my musical director for my show, everything's on his iPad and uh, all of his notes, which makes it wonderful because if he's not available to play for me, he just forwards his notebook to anyone else who's able to fill in. Uh, I wanna talk about another best friend of mine, and some of you know this. Uh, I was lucky enough to have Carol Channing as a best friend. And it was Carol Channing who talked me into uh, celebrating and uh, saving the history of Hello Dolly. And uh, I get Google alerts for Hello Dolly. And a couple of weeks ago, I got a Google alert about a production that's happening at the Act Two Playhouse uh, and uh, in Pennsylvania. And uh, I reached out to them and said, you know, I'm doing this project. I'd love to come out and talk to you. Um, Tony uh, Braithwaite, the artistic director, brought me out. I went on Saturday. I saw one of the most delightful productions of Dolly that I have seen, and I've seen many, trust me. Uh, and here she is. Hello, Jenny. <laughs> Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me. I am so thrilled that you're here. Um, I've already told you, and your ears are just going to, you're going to think that I'm just, uh, you know, some stalking fan of yours <laughs> because I'm gushing about you all the time. But I found in your performance nuances that I had never seen uh, with Dolly before. But before we even get there, uh, meet George and Judy. And uh, it sounds like the opening to the Jetsons. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, so, Jenny, um, you um, it, it wear many hats, just like Dolly Levi. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I want to speak specifically about your uh, role as an actress and as a singer. Um, which came first, the acting or the singing? It's funny you ask that because I... Um... I, I really loved music when I was a child. I watched Shirley Temple movies with my grandmother um, and really fell in love with that. And I also um, was not very gifted at it, but did take a lot of dance. Um, and every year I would try to drop out of dance at the end of the year, but then we'd have the recital and the recital would get me to come back for another year because I loved the, like, the showbiz part of it. Um, but I went to school for theater. I went to Northwestern University and um, I actually had to make a choice, theater or vo vocal performance. And I went in as a theater major and I really am grateful for that because it was a very focused time where for four years that was, that was what I was doing. Um, and then sort of incorporated musical theater as sort of an add-on to um, the technique that I got from Northwestern. So I'm, I'm grateful that because I think my tendency could have gone, you know, very show busy, very um, maybe not so grounded in reality. And Northwestern got me right in there into the like the meat of what it is to be a human. Um, and so that's that's sort of how I uh, that's sort of my background, my training. No, Northwestern. And when I was in high school, they had a program, a, a summer program. Uh, for, they called the Cherub. Cherubs. I was a cherub. You were. Oh, <laughs> amazing. That's great. <laughs> so uh, there comes a point in an actress's life, uh, and you've done television and film as well, where they make the choice, New York or L.A. 
Mm. Uh, you made it for New York, uh, obviously, I'm assuming. Or did you go to L.A. for any t uh, time to pursue your career? Uh, I... At Northwestern, at the end of our senior year, we had a showcase in New York. And through that showcase, I was able to get an agent. So it felt like a very logical transition to you know, go back to the East Coast. I'm from Philadelphia originally, mm -hmm. the Philadelphia area. So um, yeah, I never, I never thought about LA very seriously. And I also have found that I have, um, I have a face for the stage. <laughs> I can't, I make like I, the, my, I just can't, it's very hard for me to tone down. <laughs> Welcome and, to my world. Oh my God, Richard. <laughs> you, you know, and it's just, and, and, and also I, to be honest, um, as much as I do love um, the intimacy and sort of like close up nature of film and television, um, the, the audience is, is a, big part of why I love what I do. Um, I love that instant feedback, that high of like just going out there and playing with people, especially in comedy. Um, so I, well, I will, you know, I'll say this. I mean, you talk about the bigger than life person and to play Dolly, you need a bigger than life personality, obviously. <laughs> but the uh, Act Two Playhouse is such an intimate little space. Mm -hmm. um, I love how you truly uh, break the fourth wall. Uh, and really, when she's handing her cards out, uh, spoiler alert, everyone, she's giving it to the people in the front row. And, you know, it, it's really uh, a nice, did, was that a directorial choice? Or was it a Jenny Eisenhower choice? <laughs> I wanted it so bad. Like the second I was like, oh, we're doing this show in this space. Like there aren't going to be enough people on stage for me to even interact with. So I know I'm coming for them. I'm coming for that front row. And I love audience interaction. Mm -hmm. um, so, but Stephen also was uh, our director, Stephen Casey, who's fantastic. He's phenomenal. Um, amazing. Um, he was, he was right there with that suggestion on day one and we were on the same page. So it was great. And, you know, but it is a very intimate company. Um, mm -hmm. And I will say the most intimate company of Dolly I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. uh, but it has done so in incredibly well. And I mean, there is not a corner or a space that is left untouched in that theater. That's right. We touched it all. You should see us backstage. creeping <laughs> <laughs> along the walls and the back. You know, because it's very narrow back there. It is a total dance. It's a dance in front. It's a dance behind the scenes as well. It's, it's, um, but God, I, you know, they've really, I do feel like they've pulled it off. It's just like, it's unbelievable that they've gotten that big of a show into that intimate of a space. And I think, I think it and really. You played Carol Channing in Forbidden Broadway. Yes. The, I actually had to like undo, I, I studied her so much as Dolly. For that, you know, that whole like, and I had to undo it to do Dolly as myself. Right. Um, it was it was interesting and a challenge. Yeah. Well, so, I, what kind of theater is it? How, how many seat? Uh, Act two is a. I think it's like a hundred and twenty seats or something. It's quite. Yeah. Small. It's oh, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. It's just mm -hmm. great. I want to talk about another hat that you wear. Um, mm -hmm. I was really intrigued with your website. And the fact that you have, um, as a realtor, that you are really uh, working with the LGBTQ community mm -hmm. and uh, it's Pride Month. So mm -hmm. how did that begin for you? And, uh, and how's it going, by the way? Thank you. I, well, I began real estate um, 
I transitioned into real estate during COVID. Um, so I'm relatively new to the industry. I mean, you know, it's it, I, almost at my three year mark. Um, and absolutely love it. I, um, and I am, so I'm part of the LGBTQ community. I mean, I'm, I'm married to a woman and, you know, so, um, I, you know, have a really large group, uh, just naturally of friends that, you know, I, I start, you work with who, you know, in real estate. So mm -hmm. I instantly, you know, had this built in network, but, um, I started to explore, uh, statistics about homeownership in our community. And um, we are statistically less likely to own homes than our heterosexual counterparts. And um, there's a lot of sort of theories and reasons behind those statistics. But at the end of the day, I mean, the way to build generational wealth is through real estate. I think it's one of the most important things that you can do. And I think that, you know, educating people about the pathways to that is a, is a way to give back to my community because I think it's, um, it's just so important. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I've always wanted to be able to give back to the community in some way besides, you know, singing. <laughs> um, so this is, this is a way, this is a way to sort of, you know, pay it forward, help, you know, help people find their way to homeownership. And, and yeah. how were you able to balance the two? It's interesting. So I, um, you know, I, I call it my drama dollars. So I have like a certain number of drama dollars I can spend a year now. So I used to be a full-time artist before COVID. I was full-time theater director, actor, and I taught at Temple University. Um, I now am, I would consider myself a full-time real estate agent who takes passion projects when they, when they arrive. Um, and it's doable. Um, it's tricky during the time that I'm running a show, but it's doable. Um, but what I found that's really been freeing is that I think I make better art when I'm deeply passionate about it in every way. I'm excited to work at that theater. I'm excited to work with that director, that role. Um, whereas when I was earning a full-time living as an artist, there were a lot of compromises in terms of just, you know, getting through, getting those healthcare weeks, get, getting a paycheck, you know, and it, that does, I think that takes a toll on, on the art. Um, when you start to monetize it. So um, it's been, I think it's helped me as an artist to really um, put energy, in, real, true focus and energy into the things that are important. So um, it's been really freeing. So I want to talk a little bit about the process to get there. Uh, how long was your rehearsal period for this? We were two full weeks of rehearsal uh, without tech. The third week we moved into teching the show, lighting the show, costumes, and, um, and then previews. So it was pretty quick. Um, I did start memorizing the role three months out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, my wife can play everyone in the show. <laughs> she is my honorary Horace Ermengard. She's everyone. She knows the whole show. So uh, she helps me with my lines and... Um, but the actual rehearsals we had about three weeks. And have you had a chance to really, you know, today is Best Friends Day. Uh, mm -hmm. So have you had a chance to forge friendships with the cast? Oh my gosh. This cast is one of the most incredible. I mean, every single person is kind. Every single person is talented. It is just an absolute dream. Um, and some of them, and because I work a lot in the Philadelphia theater community, some it's just like, hello again, wonderful people I've worked with before. Um, but I've also met a lot of new people, 
including our next guest. I'll let you do it. But well, uh, uh, that was the perfect segue. <laughs> Lee, I'm so thrilled to hear Lee Sabakin, everyone. He plays Barnaby Tucker brilliantly. Uh, so uh, it's so much fun to, uh, to see you here uh, when you're uh, a little bit more subdued. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, incredible character. Uh, Thank and, you. Uh, great performance. Um, you know, traditionally, uh, you know, we, you and I didn't get a, a real big chance to talk. Traditionally, uh, Barney Tucker, across the board, is probably the most difficult role to play other than Dolly in the show. Wow. And I say this because the Barnaby character is such an over the top type of a character, but you truly have made him human. You've made him your own. Uh, you have your own stamp on him. Um, what was your grounding force in terms of finding Barnaby Tucker for yourself? Especially in a space like Act Two Playhouse, we really, 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 it's not film because the audience is there and they are an ever living, breathing character in our show. But it was just a matter of going right to the truth and honesty of the story and why we do what we do. I love this piece and I've done it three times. I've done oh. Barnaby twice. I started in the trenches as a waiter doing the gallop under studying Barnaby in Texas Family Musicals production of Hello Dolly that was directed by Judy Norton from the Waltons who also starred as Dolly. In well, this Judy's become a good, uh, Judy has become a good friend of mine and I interviewed her about that production. So. She is just wonderful and she had done it other times with that company and there was another dolly uh, a lovely actress named megan who she directed when she wasn't being put into the show so that was a very interesting experience and you know understudying for the first time and coming up through the trenches and having the appreciation for the entire piece and what every single person in the show is doing i was a um, female ensemble member in drag in the opening that Dolly gave a makeover and I put my hand in here. I quickly got into boy drag or it takes a woman and was just flip-flopping back and forth. But um, I love playing Barnaby. It's, you know, it's not Dolly, but I, I dream of playing Dolly someday. But it's just so fun to play it's so fun to just go out there and do it every day and just try to make it a little bit more honest a little bit more funny and a little bit more real and yeah every scene is just you know another chance to get in the sandbox with your friends especially as we move into new york and we're in the hat shop and we're running around and we're nervous and sweating and then we're dancing and the love story is being told i just have just fallen in love with this piece from portraying barnaby i think a little over a hundred times now and from the 30 or so rounds in the ensemble it's just so delightful and you discover something new in it every day and with mm -hmm. every production that you do and every friend that you make and the brilliant artistry that is jenny eisenhower and our company is just i haven't done a musical in a long time because of covid so this has very been 
very much been like a homecoming. We're all Dolly walking down the steps of the Harmonia Gardens, coming uh, home to the theater and creating a new family and finding this version of the piece, which is very different from the last production that I did of it, which was at Jury Lane Oak Brook outside of Chicago, which is not far from where Jenny went to college. And it's a, it's a very large Broadway style house. There's no balcony, but things play much grander. And on Act Two Playhouse, sometimes you can't even see the little intricate footwork that Stephen Casey has so beautifully given us. But every little seat gets their own special show and you will get a different version of Hello, Dolly, no matter what 120 of the seats that you sit in. And yeah, I I hope that um, the people that are seeing it are enjoying it. We are feeling the love very much and it's just an absolute blast. How long is the run? We have two more weeks left. We're heading into a five show weekend. We're on our way to Ambler for a performance tonight. So excited. So I, Yeah, I, I can't even believe that you both said yes to being here today. <laughs> because, I, yeah, so I, I thank you both for being here. Uh, it, it really is, uh, you know, and from the moment that you walk into the theater, I mean, everybody that's there, I don't know if these are paid uh, uh, or if they're volunteers, but every single person that you encounter from getting to your seat beyond, uh, of course, I was there to do a talk back, so maybe they were treating me a little differently. I don't know, but I was treated so well. It felt so, I just felt so welcome coming to the theater. So it was a lot of fun. We're so grateful that you were able to join us. I could have listened to you regale us with tales of Carol and other dollies through the evening performance. Yeah. So I hope we get another chance to. Well, you and I and, uh, and Jenny also, I'm going to get you both on my Dolly uh, site. So uh, I'm going to profile you both and uh, and other members of the cast as well. And uh, Jenny, I want to you know say this, the, um, the relationship between you and Horace is just so wonderful. I mean, and that's a difficult role for a lot of uh, actors because, and you know this better, better than anyone, Lee, having done the production so many times, uh, it's such a blustery type of a character, uh, but you have to find something about him that Dolly wants to marry this man, besides yeah. his half a million dollars. <laughs> um, but there's a chemistry between the two of you. Have you worked together before? Yeah, so I've known Scott for 25 years almost. Um, and that's one of the beauties of like, uh, grow, uh, the Philadelphia theater community has such an intimacy about it, you know, and, and that you already have a shorthand with performers that you've worked with before. Mm -hmm. So he and I did a show in 2001. It was right, right when 9-11 happened. And then, and then the show went into rehearsals uh, called Baby Case at the Arden Theater, which is a beautiful theater downtown. Um, which, and actually Tony Braithwaite was in that show too. Wow. Um, he's a lot of fun. He's great. And then um, we also played, we covered the roles of the mother and the father in Christmas Story, the musical at the Walnut Street Theater. He and I were the understudies. So we did a lot of understudy rehearsals as husband and wife, never went on. But um, but yeah, I've known Scott for years. He's He's a real, you know, He's an actor first. I think like he just is really tuned in in all of our scene work. And that just makes it, um, I mean, really that's how the whole cast is. It's like, they all can sing, they all can dance. They all, but everyone is so present with each other in this show. Um, 
And I think you have to be. You can't get away with not being present when there's only 120 seats. I mean, they'll see you. They'll get, they'll, people will know. Yeah. You know, it's a very strange feeling. You know, I'm going to shift gears uh, here for a moment. Uh, in New York with the, uh, the smoke and the fires. Uh, I mean, for those who don't know, here in New York City yesterday, um, everything was orange. I mean, uh, if you've seen the pictures on the news, those photographs don't capture it. Uh, I mean, looking out my front door, I was supposed to go to uh, see a show last night and I rescheduled for Monday night because it was just, I opened my door and the thickness was so thick. Um, I can only imagine for those performers who had to go on last night. Uh, and uh, Lee, you were mentioning earlier that, I mean, when they open the stage door, that a little bit of that, I mean, what do you do to pace yourselves, both of you, to get through an evening like this? Especially on a two-show day, as it got progressively worse, we really had to stay grounded. We basically did not leave the theater. And if we did to go grab dinner, we threw the mask on. And it was a lot of water. And I did throw the rescue inhaler in my backpack just in case, because I'm asthmatic and I don't want to play any chances. This is a very athletic role. We do a lot of dancing in a very small space. And yeah, like the backstage choreography, as Jenny said, is just as intricate as everything we're doing on stage. So we really need to be every single one of our 14 company members in the right place at the right time and in our right frame of mind. So we just really honed in to our story and kept hydrating and took the allergy medicine. And, but when we stepped on stage to do elegance in act two between the stage door, between shows and the people coming in, it just was hazy. It was very different and yeah. we're not used to, I know our friends on the West coast or that have been dealing with this or oh, this is a Tuesday, but we are you know used to being able to breathe clean air and not step outside into the apocalypse? <laughs> it's 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 strange, and, and George, I mean, you said you're in Provincetown, and there's no semblance of this at all. No, no, not at all. Fortunately or unfortunately, I, I empathize and I feel terrible for for yeah. you and the world, frankly. Well, I think I see so many of my cabaret friends that are in Provincetown this weekend. And I thought they really got out of Dodge just in time for this. Uh, some of them that are already there. And I mean, the show's already started. Am I correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was a little, to make you feel better, it was a little cold and rainy. And New York was beautiful and sunny. But uh, oh, I, I, uh, it I, wasn't I, sunny. It wasn't. I, I got over it. But you no, really. see, my heart goes fun. out to all of my friends and family in New York. And Jenny, was this your first show since COVID or have you done other shows as well? Um, I did Sister Act, the musical, at the Media Theater last spring. So that was my drama dollars for that year. Um, oh. And uh, I played Mother Superior in that. It was a lot of fun. I don't know if you know that show, but it's... Oh, I do, yeah. Yeah, strong female leads all around. And it's just a really fun time. I saw it at the Paper Mill Playhouse. I oh, uh, I think it was one of the, uh, a friend of mine, Diane Finley, I don't know if you know her, but mm -hmm. Diane uh, had uh, auditioned for the, uh, for this, got the role, and then COVID hit. Oh. And, uh, and she sat on pins and needles, you know, for three years, wondering if it's going to happen, it's not going to happen. And she's an older actress. Yeah. You know, so finally, it happened, and she got to do the role, and she was just, she did the Mary Wicks role. 
and she was brilliant and just it was fun to see her do that and lee you said this is your first show time back as well yes and i am thrilled that it's this show with this cast it's just the perfect storm and to be performing in my hometown for the first time since high school is thrilling there have been lots of Leaf friends, family, and fan club members that have taken a row or two of our 120 seats. So we are completely sold out, and uh, that is wonderful and amazing. So any of my best friends that slept on getting tickets, I'm sorry. That's show business. Yes. So, um, Jenny, do you have any questions for anyone? I'm going to uh, have a little fun with everybody. and uh, just well, Let's go for it. Uh, okay, so I, I oh, each week I pull uh, these random questions. I haven't even looked at the questions. Um, and we'll just see where this takes us. Judy, I'll start with you. Okay. Uh, pull the number one through four. Three. And your question is, uh, well, it's a statement. Choose a new skill that you'd like to master and investigate your options for learning it. Have I asked you that question before? No, I don't think so. New skill. What do I, what do I want to learn? I want to pick up French again. I, I took French in high school uh, and I've decided just now <laughs> I'm going to pick up French again and start studying it. Oh, good for you. That's great. Uh, and uh, George, uh, pull the number one through three. Uh, three. And your question is, um, it says, take a moment to get clear on the future that you're seeing, saying yes with your actions. It sounds to me like you're already that person. Uh, do you ever waffle uh, when it comes to making a decision, uh, especially with the work that you're doing with the Tin Pan Alley project? Um, or do you just jump in and say, we're going to go for it? Uh, usually it uh, is, we're going to go for it. But sometimes uh, you have to step back and say, okay, do we really have the capacity? We, we did, for example, to launch the Tin Pan Alley American Popular Music Project and celebrate uh, the uh, uh, the landmark designation in October 2021, we did a five-hour, 50-person program uh, on a plaza outside the Flatiron Building for I remember for five thousand people, <laughs> and it's like okay, let's. And it's very easy to say let's do that again, and I have to really <laughs> put myself back where I was in uh, September 2021 and say, do we need to do that exactly? So I I I, I hope that I'm at least getting some capacity to breathe before I say yes. But we are going to do it, by the way. <laughs> so. Great. Uh, Jenny, one or two? Oh, uh, my favorite number is two. Okay. And it says, uh, uh, well, start a journaling practice and use it to explain how you feel. Do you journal? You know, I used to journal a lot. In college, I did. Um, and I've gotten away from it. So maybe like Judy, I'll, I'll, I'll pick journaling back up because Judy, I just picked French back up, actually. It's so yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah. I use Duolingo. It's like, it's an app on my phone. And I, every day I speak a little French and, you know, and then you can get these little points. It's very fun. So yeah. I have <laughs> Well, you two have to stay in touch with each other. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And Lee, by, you get the last question. All um, right. Here we go. Number one. Okay. What's something that you will never, ever do again in this, in your career? Hmm. 
Well, I don't like to, you know, limit myself, especially very early in my career. Um, I'm trying to think if there was just an experience that I've had that is just so unpleasant. And I'm very blessed at this point. I haven't had something that I don't want to do. I had very long Little Mermaid hair right before <laughs> our production of Hello, Dolly. And, you know, I might have told you that I didn't want to cut my waist length Ariel locks. Right before oh, God. The came out, but it was worth it for our company. The hair is part of the costume and <laughs> pretty cute. So oh, great. someone from Locks of Love hopefully is getting a quarter of a Lee Slovakian Ariel wig. Good karma. And yeah, I am just, you know, open to all possibilities in my Oh, career. that's wonderful. No limits. Sky's the limit. Did you donate your hair? I am planning on it. You know, yeah. we're sitting in two braids on my dresser right now but as soon as our show closes we'll drop them in an envelope too oh i love that organization. that's great uh george what is something that you have done today when it comes to your art or your creativity that you're very proud of um well i think that um it's planning the, the the future of the Tin Pan um, Alley project. It was meeting with Marilyn Lester, who you rightly recognized in your opening, and our, our who's a board member, a vice president, and another board member, Jesse Braheny, whose jazz band I have christened the Tin Pan Alley Cats, and thinking hopefully a little strategically about. Um, what we're going to be doing with the Ritz, what we're going to be doing on the pier, what we're going to be doing at the Museum of the City of New York in October, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a, it's a wonderful, you know, opportunity to uh, create and hopefully contribute. Now, do you know Patricia Fitzpatrick? No. You need to introduce yourself to Patricia Fitzpatrick. Tell her that I told you that you two need to go for a drink and you need to talk about making Tin Pan Alley the thrust of their cabaret festival next summer. Oh, what, absolutely. And I'm, I'm also reaching out to Symphony Space about wall-to-wall Tim Pan Alley, for example. Uh, so we welcome all comers and all uh, uh, all ideas. As you can see, Tim Pan Alley NYC is running across your screen right now. And we're uh, open to uh, ideas. And, and as I said, we don't own any of the buildings. And I, I probably will regret saying I don't want to own any of the buildings. But we don't want to be in the building business. We want to be in the the creativity building business. And we say that, you know, like popular music, Tim Pan Alley is everywhere. Uh, so we're, we're very interested in collaborations and partnerships of all kinds. That's great. Uh, Jenny, uh, were you ever, uh, as a child, were you ever discouraged by anyone for pursuing your career as an actress or a singer? Uh, and if so, how did you get past that? Huh. Um, you know, I don't think there was anyone who directly was like, you know, you got no talent, kid. Like, I, there was none of that. But I will say that, like, just this industry by its nature of, you know, so many people wanting to participate in it, so much talent being out there, there's just a built-in uh discouragement quotient like just there you know like you're going to you're going to lose out on really hard um you know really things that you really wanted or you're not going to get you know you're not going to get every part you you go out for um and i think my biggest obstacle has always been my own um 
ego and my own um, self-deprecation. So I'm really hard on myself. And when I don't get something, sometimes I'm really, you know, really upset about it. And it's taken me years to recognize that it's just what's going to be is going to be. And if somebody gets a part and I, and I didn't get it, it's that's because they're right for that. Part. Like, it's okay. Like any, I, I truly, truly am there in maybe the last 10 years, but for the first, you know, 15, I think, I think I was my own obstacle to success in a way. And I think, I think that um, I've grown and learned a lot and I've got a real thick skin. Um, I can take no all day and be like, it's okay. It's okay. You know, that's something that I've developed over time and I'm grateful for that. Have you ever experienced imposter syndrome? Um, yes, definitely more so on, uh, film and television sets. Um, I was like acting opposite Jennifer Garner in a film and I like had one line and I like couldn't say it right. You know, like I was just so scared to be there and didn't feel, you know, I mean, yes, definitely. And I think like everybody would, I think you have imposter syndrome when you're trying something new that's okay. And that's good. Like if you're scared a little bit in the right way, it's a sign that you're pushing yourself. Wow. I agree with you. Totally agree with you. Um, Lee, um, a strong positive opinion about something that you, uh, I, I'd like you to give a strong positive opinion about something in the industry. Uh, we hear so many people I mean, right now we are dealing with Holly very Bailey as Ariel in The Little Mermaid. If thank you, you. thank you. Twenty twenty three Little Mermaid. I will not stray into my grotto right now and pull out my Little Mermaid collection, but I've been collecting The Little Mermaid since I'm a little boy. I've mentioned wow. a couple times already, but this her Holly's performance in this film. From the moment she is on, I don't want to, mm, I will get missed. No, go ahead, go ahead. Now, but it is just so brilliant and it's so important right now. It's so important that all children see themselves as royalty and that she continues that legacy that Brandy began with Cinderella and Anika Nani Rose. And we should all identify as these characters. No one gatekeeps these roles. We are all entitled to have our piece of the magic and she is just so special her voice oh my goodness that rendition of part of your world is so emotional and raw and i will never tire of it i will never not cry of it part of your world the jody benson rendition was always my number one disney cry song but oh holly i love you I hope I get to one day express to you how much that performance meant to me and means to all of us. But go see that movie if you haven't seen it. If anyone doesn't like that movie or that performance, they're full. Well, I will see it. I will definitely see it. Judy, you want to say anything about anything that anyone has just brought to the table? No, I, you know, I think that the passion that each of you have for what you're doing is is so vibrant it's really a it's a living being you know it, you can it's palpable it's palpable and that's you know who could ask for more right and that's what it's about it's about creating the art and creating the art with absolutely uh as much you know just go out there and do it you know uh, there are so many people around us when i'm looking 
at the world that we're living in right now. When I look at our children being told who they should be or who they shouldn't be and uh, these labels that are being put on people and uh, and books being banned and art being banned and all these things, you know, just keep creating. That's that's my message for everyone. Um, so, George, three habits that you feel that you have utilized in your career that have gotten you to where you are now with the work that you're doing? Well, I, I was described as a, um, a dog with a bone by our city council person, for example. It was, because they had said, you can't get Tim Pan Alley landmarked, and we did it. And you can't co-name the street, and we did it. And so I, I think persistence, diligence, doggedness is, is, is one. And then openness, openness to people as, as embodied by this wonderful place in Provincetown. I mean, I just love that, you know, if you can go whale watching, you can go drag queen watching, you could, you know, and it, it's all right here just to, to um, jump in and, uh, and appreciation of people like you all and uh, the people I've, I've had the privilege of meeting through Tim Pan Alley in my whole career. That's wonderful. Uh, Jenny, um, who, were, who were you before today and who will you be after today in terms of your art? Oh, that's a hard question. Um, well, I think, I, I don't know. I think, I think that's a, that's, I think as an artist, as an actor, I often don't really know. I'm so meldable and kind of, I don't really know, like from day to day, like I, I kind of can be an introvert, an extrovert, this or that, you know? And so every day is sort of, it's just like meeting that day with a new, with new eyes. And mm -hmm. I was so excited to come on here. Um, didn't know, you know, a lot about your work, George and, and Judy, it's so nice to meet you and Richard wow. spend more time with you and Lee, like I'll see you in an hour, but like, you know, just saying yes to things and just kind of being, you know, approaching each day with, um, at, with a new, with new eyes. I try to do that every day. Um, and, uh, so yeah, this this has been a really a really good day. <laughs> That's wonderful. And Lee, uh, and this will be my last question, and then we're going to give you each a chance to have your final word, and I'll, I'll get to that very quickly. But Lee, um, in this business, it is very difficult for any of us to stay on track, to you know keep your blinders on, stay in your lane, and do what you need to do. How do you deal with all the distractions that are around you and how do you stay focused on Lisa Botkin? Well, as someone that is very ADD and that is very <laughs> passionate about a lot of things and very multifaceted, um, sometimes you really just have to ground down into whatever it is that you really want. I am a big believer in manifestation. When I was a little boy, I saw Wicked the Musical when I was 12 years old, and I thought I have to be in that show. And, and he did. 10 years later, I was touring the US and Canada and doing it. So if there is something that you are passionate about, put your all into it, and the results will pay off. I know all of our paths take divulge and our dreams take many shapes but if you believe in yourself and your goals you just got to keep pushing forth no matter what gets in the way and what distracts you because what jenny said what's meant to be yours that role that house it it's going to work out the way that it was supposed to so open yourself up 
to the roads and the possibilities. Don't just be so, don't have your blinders on too hard because then you can miss out on some of the beauty around you. I love that. That's perfect. And on that note, I'm going to say that we're going to wrap up the show. Um, I end every show by having everyone have their final word. It could be about anything that we spoke about today that you want to build upon, anything that we didn't talk about that you wish we had, or just any final message you want to leave everyone with uh, before we end the show. I'm going to start with you, Jenny, so that I can get you off, and then Lee, and then George, and then I will have my closing remarks, and Judy, I'll let you finish everything today. So we'll start with you, Jenny. Um, I'll just, I'm in Dolly space, so I'll give a Dolly quote, which is money, pardon the expression, is like manure. It isn't worth a thing unless it's spread around, encouraging young things to grow. So I think, um, you know, uh, I think generosity, paying things forward, go get a ticket to a show today. If you liked this podcast and you're feeling inspired, go see something. You can't come see Dolly because it's sold out, but maybe go see a, something in P-Town or, you know, like just go be, go out and be part of the world, everybody. And and spread some money around too. <laughs> and, that's the, and that's the theme of Dolly. So yeah. Jenny, I love you and we will be in touch. Love you too. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you. Take a leg. Thank you. Thank Leah, you. it's all yours. Just to remember to be kind and gentle with everyone and to lead with that, that Dolly Levi love and compassion and wanting to bring the world together with joy and happiness and doing this production of Hello Dolly and being here with you all today has been nothing but joy and fun. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Holy cabooses. (laughs) With a little aerial thrown in. (laughs) Part of that. (laughs) Have a great show tonight. Thank you. Take care, my friends. Goodbye. George, and, it's yours. And uh, my word is 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 gratitude. I'm grateful well, that I'm in uh, somebody else's living room. This isn't my beautiful living room, someone else's. Uh, but also uh, for being part of even a small part of of, of this wonderful community of uh, art lovers and cabaret performers and and people like you too and uh, and um, and our, our our friends who I just met um, and I, I think that's important for foreground um, grat- gratitude and always know how um, how fortunate one is absolutely and I'll be seeing you in a few weeks hopefully Okay, I'm going to go spread the word about your show at the post office, right? Oh, now. please! And I and I, I wrote down uh, uh, Patricia Fitzpatrick. I will yes. buttonhole her on Saturday. Give her my love tonight, please. I do. will. Thank okay. you both. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you, George. Thank you. What a great show this was! I loved it. <laughs> oh my god! Thank you. I thank you I, I have to tell you, you know, I started writing. Uh, I, I love the fact that uh, both Jenny and. Uh, and Lee talked about following your passion. Um, Carol, when I stopped performing as Carol, it was her idea that I uh, preserve this history and start writing a book. And I put all my eggs, unfortunately, in one basket. And I put my eggs in the basket of this person who said, don't do anything without me. I've got the connections. I've got the photographs. I've got everything. And and every time I'd call him to say, let's get together, uh, there was another excuse. And then after almost five years of excuses with me still holding on to the fact that this person was going to be the one to get me through there. He finally left a message on my machine saying, your ship has sailed. No one's interested in your book. It's not going to sell, you know, and, uh, and I, 
put it on a back burner. And then COVID hit. And when COVID hit, I started doing these virtual shows. I'm now starting to get back into uh, the, as Dali says, joining the human race again. And I, I've been getting Google alerts all this time for Dali. And for almost three years during COVID, I have not done anything with my call on Dali site because I was just discouraged and everything. And then recently, I got the opportunity to interview Tony Tennille who just did Dolly in Prescott, Arizona. And, and then I thought, you know, there are a lot of theaters out there that are doing Dolly. Uh, some of them are local. Uh, I could reach out to these theater companies and I could get out there and I could do a talk back with the audience after the show. I did one in Rhinebeck uh, three weeks ago and then this weekend, uh, Act Two in Ambler, Pennsylvania. And what I'm discovering again is first of all, my passion is there uh, for Dolly uh, and all the women and some men who have played Dolly and that the audiences are picking up on that passion mm -hmm. and the audience, it's infectious. The audience are there and the stories that I tell and they're laughing and they're, uh, they're having a great time and the questions are there and I'm just having the best time with this. Um, and it's, um, and I've been sitting on a gold mine that I didn't even know that I was sitting on. I'm even starting to do uh, some uh, virtual talkbacks. I've got a couple of uh, people in the wings that I'm going to be doing things with. Uh, but, you know, the thing about Dolly is that it's all about finding love and finding love when you didn't expect it. And you find love when you don't expect it by getting out of the way and saying yes to all possibilities. That's mm -hmm. the true message of what Hello Dolly is truly all about. And I always end every show by telling you we want to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. And I mean it. Pick up the phone and call someone you haven't spoken to in a while and let them know what they mean to you. I love what Jenny said. Ask them if, they, if there's a show that they've been wanting to see and go to see it together. And then go out to dinner afterwards and discuss the show. Uh, there's a rule. Always discuss a show, if you didn't like it, at least five blocks away from the theater. You never know who's listening. So, But just get out there and live your passion and do the things that make you happy. And uh, the world is going to be a better place. Uh, as my dear friend Sean Moniger says, we're all in the same storm, but we're in different sized boats. And you know I always say this, Judy. I don't care what size boat you're on as long as you have a skipper by your side. But not in the smoke weather that we have now. <laughs> Stay indoors until it passes by. And on that note, I'm going to leave. And Judy, it's all yours. Thank, Thank you so much. Sure you write that book. And I'll see you in two years. Uh, two, two weeks. Two weeks. All right. <laughs> Thank you. So we started today talking about friendship and the importance of friendship. And Richard ends every show talking about the importance of friendship. And movies, TV, magazines, usually they typically portray romantic love as the only kind of significant relationship. But that simply isn't true. Really deep, grounded friendships last longer than any other kind of connection. And it's up to us to nurture them to make sure they continue, to make sure that the people who are important in our lives know how important they really are to us on a regular basis. These are the people who can make us laugh. They can make us question ourselves. <laughs> they can make fun of us. They know all of our ins and outs and our ups and downs. What more could you ask? So as Richard says, 
pick up the phone, call somebody, let them know how much they mean to you. You won't regret it. We'll see you in two weeks.